You know, as we've gone through this service, it's been a little different as we've uh, heard from Leighton and prayed for, for Ransel and, and uh, his concern. Uh, you know, our church is a church that is, is a caring church. And I don't know, uh, I don't know, all of you are here and, and go through different things. And some of you have been here a long time and some of you haven't. But one of the things about our church is, is it's a good place to be. If, if you need encouragement, it really is. It's a church that cares. Uh, and, and I hope that you've found someone within our church that can be there for you if, if you're struggling. Uh, that's, that's one of the things. We're not a perfect church, but that's one of the things we're good at. And so if you've not found someone to, to lift you up, to encourage you, or a group, uh, I, I sure hope you would. And, and if nothing else, uh, come and ask me, and I'll point you to somebody. Uh, because we've seen that happen this morning, and that's... That's one thing that we do well. So we are talking about our neighbors. Uh, had Alex come up to me this morning and say, what, what are you going to talk about this morning regarding our neighbors? And I was just impressed that Alex, you know, was following along that much, you know, that he was with me and hadn't lost sight of that. So hopefully you're, you're with me and knew that that was kind of what we were talking about. We've been in kind of coming at our neighbors, what the Bible says in regards to the Old Testament. We've been in Leviticus uh, and, and we've looked at, at Caroline reread a sermon text from a couple Sundays ago about uh, loving our neighbor. It was that foundational text. That's, that's where it comes from, the one that Jesus quotes. And so today we're, we're getting into the book of Luke. And we're in Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there in your Bibles and put a, put a finger there or, or someplace to mark it. And that's what we're going to be looking at is, is how Jesus uh, kind of reinterprets that idea and, and applies it in a New Testament framework. Last week I, I talked to you a little bit about... Uh, some of my actual neighbors I had on the street where I grew up. And this morning I want to start by telling you a little bit about uh, some neighbors I've had in, in Gatesville since we've been here. When, when I first moved into our neighborhood, I was greeted by an elderly man. And you may know him, so I'm not going to say his name. Uh, but I was greeted by this elderly man who was, was outside and he was watering his grass and... Uh, just taking very good care of it. And, and I didn't know it at the time, but that was what he was, I was going to see him do a, a whole lot of uh, after we moved in. And sure enough, every uh, evening during the spring and the summer, he'd be outside either messing with the sprinklers or spraying down his trees or just sometimes he'd water the grass with the water hose just for good measure. And uh, sometimes he would just stand out and just look at it. He wouldn't be doing anything. He'd just be looking at his grass. And it became apparent to me that, that we understood yard work, him and I, in totally different ways. Uh, for him, this was not a chore. It was a hobby. It was something that he enjoyed. It was something he took great pride in. And I'm sure he loved standing out on his well-manicured, weed-free lawn and looking over at my mound of dirt uh, and weeds uh, that, that I mow when I have to. During the fall, I wouldn't see him as much because that's, you know, there's less yard work to do and he wouldn't be outside very often. But, you know, the spring, the summer would hit and that, there, he, there he'd be again. And that was just part of his routine and I'd see him. And I kind of got used to that routine and, and those seasons of seeing him and not seeing him. And then one spring came around and I noticed he wasn't outside very much. In fact, the more I noticed, the more I tried to be conscious, I didn't see him outside at all. And I thought maybe he got hurt or something. And one day I was outside and his wife was at the mailbox and I just asked, happened to ask, you know, how's, how's your husband? I hadn't seen him around. I hadn't seen him doing much. 
Come to find out the man had passed away and he'd been dead for, for a couple of months. Not a couple days, not a couple weeks, but, but a couple months. And, and I felt horrible and I apologized. I said, I don't know how I, I didn't pick up on that, how I didn't know that. And she said, well, I wouldn't expect you to know because nobody told you, but, but the guy was my neighbor. Like he lived right next to me. And how could I not know that he'd been dead for a couple months? It just sort of rattled me. And then we had some other neighbors on the other side of us for a little while. And, and I've shared a little bit about them before, all good stuff. They were a former, the, the, the guy was a former staff member at the Church of Christ. He was a youth minister for a little while. And uh, when they moved in, before I even got to know them, uh, our families immediately became connected because Emily and their little girl started talking to each other through the fence that divided us. They became buddies. And so before I'd even introduced myself to them, our, our kids were talking. Uh, well, come to find out, they had three kids, and, and one of the other kids was close to Luke's age, and so they became buddies. And so it just sort of, without us even really trying, we started hanging out together and talking to one another. Uh, when one of them were sick, we'd find out about it, not because I really even tried, but we were just in contact with one another, like neighbors are. And so we'd bring some soup over or volunteer to watch a kid for a little while or, or whatever you do, just the kind of stuff that neighbors do. And our relationship with them has been so strong uh, over the years. Even after they've moved away, we've gone to visit them and they've come to visit us. Actually, they told us they come to visit us and they, they missed eating at El Cap. Uh, but they wouldn't tell us which one they missed the most. Uh, but, you know, it was just sort of natural. Being a neighbor to them and with them just sort of happened. And, and, and that's the way it is. You know, I wouldn't expect everyone to want to wanna be or, or naturally be a neighbor to another person. In that same sense, that's not the way it works. Uh, but the thing is, when we look at what Scripture says, when we look at what we've been talking about, uh, Jesus says that, that we make the effort to be a neighbor, uh, whether it comes natural or, or whether it doesn't. And so uh, last week we've, we looked at actually the laws, the laws that God commanded his people in regards to being a neighbor. And one of those practices, I think we looked at a couple weeks ago of being a neighbor, uh, was that they would, as they would harvest their fields, they would leave part of them unharvested for not only the people that they knew, but even, even foreigners and aliens. And, and that was one aspect where they purposely tried to be a neighbor. And we looked at last week the idea that, that neighbors, people, regardless of whether they were their own people or whether they were outside and they were foreigners, Regardless of that, they were so important to God that God says, I'm going to make a law that says if you take the life of another person, everyone is your neighbor. You take the life of another person. That is just as serious as, as disrespecting me and taking my name and blaspheming my name. Of course, if you know biblical history, in spite of these laws, people try to find ways around them, just, just the same way that they tried to justify the law of the Sabbath and turn it into this legalistic thing. People did the same thing with this idea in regards to being a neighbor. And in today's text, it's, it's an expert. Ironically, it's an expert in these laws that approaches Jesus and, and asks this question that demonstrates that, that he totally doesn't understand the reason that God is giving these laws about being neighbors. Look at Luke chapter 10 with me. Luke 10, beginning in verse 25. 
On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Truth be told, we, we kind of sympathize with this guy. Um, we know that maybe we're not supposed to. That's not the guy in the story that, that we're supposed to, to sympathize with. Uh, but we want God to tell us what exactly we need to do to be right with him. Or, or I do. I'll say I. I won't put you in there. I do. With as little mess and with as, as little extra work as possible. That's, that's the way I think. And so Jesus tells this parable that we've read, many of us, probably hundreds of times. Maybe maybe more than that, to demonstrate our need to shift our thinking and what will allow us to really notice our neighbors. Noticing our neighbors. This requires, it's not just about seeing them. It's not just about taking note of them. It's, it's a shift in the whole way that we understand what it means to be a neighbor and who they are to us. And, and at the beginning, Jesus tells this story to, to a law, an expert in the law, to, to, to let him know that being a neighbor requires a shift in his thinking from what he can do, really, to who he already is. Being, being who we are as, as God made us to be requires shifting our understanding of what it means to be a neighbor from, from what it means, what, what, what it requires us from who God made us to be, to who God made us to be. That's, that's why Jesus tells this parable at the beginning. In, in verse 25, this guy comes up to Jesus, the expert in the law, and he says, what must I fill in the blank? What must I do? Right. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He wants to know what he has to do. And he comes up to Jesus, and the scripture says he's coming up to Jesus to test him. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. I don't know if that necessarily means he has hostility towards Jesus. It was common for people to go up to, to rabbis and, and test them because it was kind of how they learned. It wasn't test in the sense that I'm trying to get you all the time. Uh, it very well could have been that he's hoping to, to learn something from Jesus. And so he asked this question regarding eternal life. That was a, a common question in Jesus' day. What do I have to do to get eternal life? And the problem is when we're, we're honest with, with that question and, and, and what 
Jews assumed about it, they assumed that, well, if they kept the law, they could get eternal life. And the problem is keeping that law was hard. They, they couldn't always do it like they were supposed to do it. And so when they found a difficult idea in, in the Bible, in, in their Bible, in the law, what they would do is, is ask a rabbi for an interpretation of that, commentary on that, that they hoped would sort of help them figure it out, you know, make it a little less complicated. And that's what he does to Jesus. And I think he's hoping that Jesus will make that law a little bit easier somehow. That's what he's hoping for. And of course, Jesus does what? He puts the ball back in his court and he says, well, well, you're an expert in the law. I mean, my goodness, how, how do you read it? You know what the law says. And of course, he, he tells him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and, and love your neighbor as yourself in verse 27. And that's sort of the text, textbook response. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. And so he wants to know, what do I have to do, though? And so Jesus tells a story that, uh, of the Good Samaritan that we know. And we've read so many times. And, and in the lawyer's mind, the good guys would have been the priests and the Levite. The bad guy would have been the Samaritan. But really, the punchline comes at the very end. It's, it's not just that that's the guy that, that does what's right. But then we get to the very end. And Jesus' question totally is, is flipped from the question that he's asked. Which of these, Jesus asks him when he finishes telling the parable, which of these, or you might even say, whom of these three do you think was a neighbor? Not what, what did they do necessarily. Not what was it that made them the neighbor, but who? Who was the neighbor? Samaritans were thought of as, as being people that were incapable of pleasing God. They didn't come even... even even though that they, they saw themselves as being upright in God's eyes, Jews didn't. And they didn't come from the right uh, sect of, of Judaism to be pleasing to God. Who was it, though, that was pleasing, Jesus asks. Our, our Church of Christ neighbors had a... a, a we, we were just there for them. We were just their neighbors. And, and one, one day I come, I, I, I come home and I look over and there is water spewing up from one of their pipes. They had these sprinkler... Uh, these sprinkler pipes that were kind of above ground, but they were covered kind of in, in the weeds. And uh, they accidentally ran over one of them on the lawnmower, and, and the backflow to that sprinkler system wasn't working. And so the water just kept coming up and coming up and coming up, and, and it was disconnected from, from the main shutoff valve. And so the only thing to do was to turn it off at the meter if you had one of those tools. I should have called David. I bet David has one. And they asked me, do you have, you have one of those tools? And, of course, if you know me, I, I have... You know, a hammer and some nails, and that's about it. And I said, no, I don't, I don't have one of those. Uh, and so they made some calls frantically on their phone, and I you know, made, I tried to make some calls to find someone. And at the end of the day, they, they found someone. They came, and they were able to turn it off until the pipe could get repaired. And, and I just felt helpless. I was just kind of there. I didn't do anything, and, and I felt bad for them, and I was wanting to do something. And uh, when it was all over with, they said, well, well thanks. They told me thanks. And so I didn't do anything. I said, well, you were here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't take my hammer to it, right? I knew what not to do. I knew that I would mess it up if I messed with it. And I said, you were here. You, you, were, you were a neighbor. You know, so many times we think of, of how we offer ourselves to others based on what it is that, that we do. It has to be something that we do and what we can do. That's the way the world defines us. What do you do, we ask. And, and there is value in what we do. But Jesus says there's really value 
even beyond that in who you are. And we think about the way that, that we can be a neighbor sometimes, and we, or, or, or maybe not. We think, well, I can't do that, or I don't have the time to do this, or I really, really don't want to, to make the time or to be there for, for this kind of person. But really, neighboring comes from who we are. And if you're a Christian, it comes from who we are and who Christ is. Christ has offered himself to us. And, and we have this realization, if, if we're believers, that, that we would be even worse off than the guy that fell into the hands of the robbers without Christ. And so we notice our neighbor because of who we are in Christ. That's one shift. And then another shift is... Uh, to notice our neighbor, it, it goes from what you're going to get, what we're going to get from doing what God wants us to do, from what it is that we already have. You know, I think all of us turn to Jesus initially because, because we get something, right? There's something about it that is appealing, it's, whether it's encouragement or whether we come to Christ because we want to go to heaven or we come to Christ because... Uh, we just we just need that affirmation. You know, and all of us come to Christ for, for different reasons. I was 12 when my grandmother passed away and she was this mother figure to me. And, and not long after she passed away, my parents ended up getting a divorce. And, and I just found myself as I entered my freshman year of high school uh, emotionally in a totally different place than I was just a year or so ago. Uh, I had to change schools. We had to sell our house. And uh, I was just at that place. You know, teenagers are already kind of fragile, you know, if you don't have a sense of who you are. And uh, I just needed, I, I needed acceptance is what I really needed. And by God's grace, I found that in, in a group of Christians. That, that's what I needed. And that's why I initially I, I came to Christ because I found that. And, and I was compelled to, to be around them and to be around the church. But as I grew in Christ and as I felt some kind of call to, to serve God, it became apparent that, that if I do that because of something that I need, well, I, I'm not going to get that. If, if I tried to be a pastor just so I could be accepted by people, well, that's, that's clearly not a good reason. And I'm clearly not going to get that. Something's going to be missing. And so we serve God not because of what we get, but because of who we are already, what we've received in Christ. That's the point. So the lawyer approaches Jesus and he's interested in what he might get from doing what Jesus tells him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What box do I need to check? He's asking. Do I need to walk down an aisle? Do I need to sign a, a, a church covenant? Do I need to be baptized? You know, if you want to contemporize all his concerns. What do I need to do to, to get my name on, on the list? And I'll do it. And the question is simple enough. You know, Christians have kind of argued about that. Different groups see it different ways. And, and the simplest is, is just saying, well, all you have to do is profess faith in Christ. That's what most Baptists, including our church, really affirm. That's the only thing that's necessary, some groups will say. But then there's some groups that will say, well, no, you've got to profess faith in Christ and you've got to get baptized. And some will even say, well, you've got to profess faith in Christ and you've got to get baptized. And then you've got to make sure you don't mess up and lose that salvation. <laughs> and, and, and it just goes on and on. And, We've argued about that so many times, and Christians even have this obsession with it. But the lawyer's obsession and our obsession misses the point. A lot of Pharisees saw the law as this contract with God. If they kept one end, God would keep his end, and they would have eternal life. And it's obvious that the lawyer's kind of hoping that's, that's what Jesus is going to say. And he asked Jesus, 
You know, or Jesus asks him, how do you understand the law? And he, and he tells him, love God and love people. And, and at first glance, Jesus, it almost appears that Jesus affirmed this. In verse 28, he tells the lawyer, do this. What he tells him, how he understands the law, do this and you will live. But Jesus is, is talking about life a little bit differently than the way the expert in the law is talking about. How do I get eternal life? He asked Jesus. Jesus says, do this and you will live. Live. It's the same kind of life in Leviticus chapter 18 when, when God says to his people, keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. Do you see the present tense implication for that? It's not just the eternal. It's the present. It's life now, Jesus says. You, you will live. And that does go into the eternal. I think Jesus understood that as eternal life. Just as, as most rabbis did in his day. But he also understood it as life right then in that moment. Do this and you will live. He's not affirming that this guy, if, if he knows how to do something, he's going to get something. He's saying, no, you've got life now. You, you know the law. God gave you the law. And the law really can give you life if you let it point you to what is important, is what he's telling him. You know, I think Jesus includes this. This parable, and, and I think maybe the, the, the whole story as a whole is in Scripture because it really is the way that all of us come to Jesus. We come to Jesus for, for something. Maybe some of you are, are teenagers and you maybe have a similar story as I did. You came to Jesus because you just needed identity and acceptance. And some of you, maybe you just felt like Jesus was always an option for you. You grew up in church. Jesus was always there. It was never really a question of whether or not you were going to believe in Jesus, but maybe when. And then one day you did because you just kind of knew, well, it's what my family would hope for me to do. And, and now I'm going to decide to do that because, because I think it's the right thing to do. Sometimes parents end up, it's flipped. Sometimes parents end up choosing Christ because their kids do. And I think the neat thing about Jesus is he never tells anyone that comes to him for these reasons. He never says... No, that's the wrong reason. you got to go away. Jesus never sends anyone away in Scripture that comes to him for the healing or for the miracles, you know, for, for all that stuff. He never sends them away. But what he does, and what he does to this lawyer is he wants to take them from coming to him for something to get and point them to what they already have, especially if they know God and they know God in Christ. And so we allow God to shift our thinking in these ways from really from what we get to what we have. And, and hopefully that can point us what, what Jesus is wanting that to do for this lawyer is to point us to how we understand our neighbor to be focused on people instead of being focused on tasks, being focused on, on neighbors instead of instead of all the stuff that there is to do that we might associate that with. We talked about, you know, Leighton and Shannon, and, and one of the things Shannon does in our, our church office is she makes lists. Shannon is an awesome list maker. That's one of her spiritual gifts. And, uh, you know, we just have to make lists in the office because there's just stuff to do, you know, and there's two of us, and we've got to keep things going, so we just have lists all the time. And, and if you are a list maker, personally, if that's how you sort of function, you know, that, that you make these lists, and... And you're never going to get everything checked off, are you? And you're, it's just going to keep going. And, and you're going to check things off. And then you're going to get to the end of the week. And there's going to be two or three, or maybe seven or eight, just depending on your week, things 
that, that are going to carry over, right? And they get carried over, and then you add the other things for that week. And, and the point, hopefully for you, the point is not, i got to get all this stuff checked off, because you never will. Like, you're always going to have that stuff on your list. The point of the list is not for you to get it all done all in just one week or one day or, or whatever. The point is to say, this is all the stuff that I have to do, and to keep you aware of it. Makes you aware of what needs to be done without, without saying, hey, you've got to get it all done right now. It keeps your mind on it. keeps your focus on it rather than being enslaved to it. That, that's the way a list should function, right? People, though, that are enslaved to their list, people that are enslaved to the stuff that they have to do, ask questions just like this expert in the law in verse 29. Well, well Jesus, this is what I got. Well, who is my neighbor? How much do I have to do all this stuff that the law says that I have to do? Can you narrow it down for me? Can you imagine if Jesus functioned in that way? You know, Jesus did a whole lot of stuff. But really what his main concern was when he came to earth before, before he died and, and rose again, the main thing was to call his 12 disciples. Can you imagine if all these crowds were following Jesus and he said, you know, really I'm just supposed to call these 12 people and train them how to be apostles. So I don't, I don't really know. There's not really a point in following me around. You're not one of the disciples. Can you imagine if he narrowed things in that sense and the, the tendency that we have sometimes when we focus on the what instead of the who? No, we're not Jesus. Uh, well, we'll never do as good as Jesus. But, but he tells the lawyer that the only way to obey the law of love is basically to prioritize neighbors, prioritize people over tasks. And that's what God has pictured throughout all of Scripture as doing. I mean, that, that's what he did from the time people messed up is, is he tried to prioritize people in such a way that, that he would still work in our world and save us and redeem us. When Jesus asks the rhetorical question at the very end that I mean, we know the answer to, who was the neighbor? Well, the guy can't even say the word Samaritan. All he can say in verse 37 is, is the one who had mercy on him. And I think in this moment he recognizes that the, the way Jesus sees people, the way Jesus sees neighbors is so far drastically different from him. And in his shame he can't even, he can't even say, say the word Samaritan. It's what happens sometimes when we focus so much on what we have to do instead of the people themselves that God puts in our lives. In college, I made lists to pass tests. I remember I would take these introductory classes. And those of you that have just got into college, you know these introductory classes is just a lot of material. That's why they're called introduction, right? And they just want you to know a whole bunch of broad stuff. And so I remember taking like introduction to the New Testament and, and they would want me to, to say, you know, on a test or talk about the different theories behind, you know, which gospel writer wrote first or something like that. And so I would write the name of the theory when I was studying at the top of my notes and then I would just write down every single thing I knew about it. Every, you know, just make a long list and I'd memorize it. And that's how I learned to study. I do that in introduction to Christian history. I'd put a certain event, you know, the council at Nicaea and just everything that I knew about it. And, and I did good on tests because that's what introductory classes are. 
But then you move from those introductory classes to classes that are a little more specific to theology classes and to practical ministry classes. And they don't want you to just regurgitate information in those classes. They want you to they want to know what you know, but they also want you to engage with what you know. They want to know what you think about what you know. And so you have to not only write papers, but you give presentations and and you talk about not only facts, but what you think about those facts. You have to engage with it. It's not just making a list anymore. To notice your neighbor like Jesus, you've got to do more than just work down your list of things to do. You have to engage them in the midst of all that you have to do. Sometimes in spite of all that you have to do. If you're a Christian, people need who you are. They need who you are and they need what you have. But you have to notice them. It's fair to say Jesus had a lot to do. But have you ever thought about the way that he noticed people and all that he had to do and, and training his disciples and, and convincing his disciples that he was who he was and, and, and what was going to happen. Remember how he noticed people? There, there's this one story that I just absolutely love because it's, it's, it's Jesus and the way he saw people in a nutshell. He's, he, he's on his way to this, this man's house whose daughter is dying. And as he's on his way, I mean, time is of the essence. This, this woman who, who'd been bleeding reaches out and, and touches him. You remember? It's where we got the song, and, and he touched me. And, and she touches him, and he stops. And he, he says, he asks the question, who touched me? I don't think it was because he needed to know who touched him. Now, I don't think it was even because he cared all that much who touched him. But I think that he knew that she needed to be noticed. This woman that had been bleeding for years and no one would touch her and come near. Who touched me? And he takes time and he notices her. Well, of course, that sets him back. And, and by the time he finally gets to this, this house where this little girl had, had, was sick, she, she died. Remember? And, and everyone laughs when he says, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And, and he, he brings her back to life. Little girl, get up and walk, he says to her. And then you remember what he does? He says, hey... This girl's been dead. She's hungry. Somebody get her something to eat. Of all the things for Jesus to worry about, that's what he noticed. The God that raises people from the dead notices something as mundane as a little girl's hunger. And it's through knowing that God in Christ and serving that God and receiving from that God that we can shift our thinking to do the same for our neighbors. Let's pray together. God, as we seek to be the kind of neighbor that Scripture sets forth, it's, it's hard because we all have stuff to do. We all have a certain amount of time that, that we can get some of those things done. But we pray that, that we would have the priorities of, of Christ, that, that you showed us what was most important. It was, it was people that, that you put in our path and in our lives that we can share the life that we have in Christ with. God, would you forgive us sometimes when we lose sight of that and we get wrapped up in, in the routine and we get wrapped up in, in just our lists and things that we have to, to check off. God, we pray that we would not only look at our neighbors and notice our neighbors, but we would love our neighbors in the way that you love us through the love that you give us. We ask in Jesus' name.